All right. Well, good morning, church family. And uh, I want to introduce to you Dr. Erez Soroff, who is the president and founder of an organization called One for Israel. And we are actually partnering with them to help plant a church in the future in Israel. And so could you give him a warm First Colleyville, Texas, a welcome. All right. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Erez. So uh, let's just start off this way. Why don't you tell them a little bit about your story and how One for Israel really came about? So I was born in a, uh, in a uh, what we called a Ju traditional Jewish family in Israel. And uh, growing up in Israel, I've not heard anything about Jesus, never met a Christian person, and never seen a New Testament, um, even though I visited many biblical sites until I was 22, at which time I met for the first time in my life, I was traveling around the world, I met a group of uh, Christians that shared Jesus with me. So God has used Gentile Christians to provoke me to jealousy. And as I became a, a disciple of Jesus, there were two, uh, I guess God has stirred two types of passion in my heart. One was um, a great desire to share the message of the gospel with my family, my neighbors, my friends, my people. Um, so just uh, letting people know that Jesus is not just the Messiah of all other nations, but also of the Jewish people. And the second thing is, was a deep, uh, deep longing, deep desire to study the Bible. So I would read the, Bibles, uh, uh, the Bible for hours at a day, every day. And out of those two passions that have consumed me in my earlier walk, later on came one for Israel. What we do... Is, uh, is the two main things that we do is we tell our people about Jesus in Hebrew from Israelis in a way they can understand. And the second is that we operate the one and only accredited Bible college and seminary in Israel. So very briefly, that's who we are. Yeah, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Isn't that great? Absolutely. So uh, just because this is the third service, we can do whatever we want to here. All right. Uh, they're right. So uh, tell us a little bit more about how your family responded when you came back from this trip and said you're a Christian. Well, it was, it was quite a splash, you know. Um, <laughs> and my parents made interviews with, for me with a rabbi and also with a chief psychiatrist in our city uh, kind of to evalu formally evaluate my sanity. <laughs> And he has formally declared me to be normal, which, you know, it came as a shock to some. Still does. <laughs> I wish we had that, you know, written down. We're officially insane. But um, so One for Israel was born. And really, uh, this is not what we're hearing on the news. Yeah. But this, there is something truly historic that's happening right now. Would you explain uh, what that what that is? Well, I would say, I would say two things. Uh, the first, you know, since the time of Jesus and the disciples, the Jewish people have never heard the gospel from inside. It was after the Reformation, uh, missionaries came from the West to share with the Jewish people. But now it is us, you know, Jewish, Israelis, Jewish and Arab actually, telling our people about Christ and um, so that's very qualitatively very different than what took place for a long time 
And the second thing, and you probably, as you watch the, new, the news, uh, whenever Israel is mentioned, it's about tension and conflict with the Arab countries around. And it is true that the children of Isaac and the children of Ishmael, you know, we've been in conflict for 4,000 years, a long time. Here's the good news, unfortunately, not broadcasted on television, is that in Christ, the Arabs and the Jews love each other. And we have... Amen. We have the blessing of celebrating this day in and day out, both among our staff and our students. There are a third are Arabs from nominal Christian background or Muslim background. And also, um, you know, two-thirds are from Jewish, Jewish heritage. So together, we are one. There's one church in Israel, Amen. and it's a great blessing. Man, that is amazing. Now, uh, you, the, the medium by which you have gotten the gospel yeah. out has been mostly through technology. Right. And most people may not realize how technological savvy uh, Israelis are. So tell us, what does that look like? Well, in the last uh, 10 years, we've discovered through international secular research that Israelis are the heaviest users of social media and smartphones in the world. If you can believe it, it's kind of hard to believe, but the average Israeli spends 60% more time than, than the average American online per day. Wow. which is crazy because when I go to Starbucks here, everybody's on their phone. But, <laughs> That's right. um, so we started producing testimonials and apologetic material about who Jesus is, about Jewish and Arab people coming to know Jesus. Uh, and the response was overwhelmingly uh, mostly positive. Uh, on the positive side, Israel is eight and a half million people. Uh, our videos in Hebrew alone have been viewed more than 27 million times. So tremendous exposure in a, in a small country. And um, I say most of the response has been positive because some of it, unfortunately, has not been. And there are Orthodox Jews, um, like Paul before his conversion, that believe that they serve God by making our life as difficult as possible. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we're very high up on their uh, public profile. But, um, you know, we still enjoy a lot of freedom, so that's good. You brought a picture of some young men that saw these videos and at their baptism, I think this is a picture. Yeah. Tell us what's That's happening here. So this, this took place about 18 months ago. Uh, those four young guys on my left there are, um, you know, there's three Jewish guys. One is an Arab guy. Uh, we all look the same, by the way. It's difficult to say who's who, I guess. <laughs> but um, uh, each one of them, they have unique stories, each one, but the trigger that kind of turned their interest in Christ was our videos. And then they called us, they contacted us, each one had his own journey. They all became uh, faithful disciples of Christ. That's their baptism in the Sea of Galilee. It's been a great day. Wow, unbelievable. Well, the, you have ministry, obviously, through the, the technology. You have ministry to soldiers. Yes. In the Israeli Defense Force. That's right. Um, ministry to women. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, so really this is, and of course the Bible College is training up leaders right. and pastors, uh, and of course we'll be partnering with you. So this is really exciting. I was just thinking, you know, if you charted like the activity of Jew to Jew evangelism, it would be almost nil, and then now it's spiking, which is uh, all a part of God's timing. Amen. It's, it's, it is all God. Yes. I will say this. So how can, we, how can we be praying for you and for the ministry? 
Well, thank you. Um, we really covet your prayers for wisdom, for uh, protection. There's a lot of opportunities for us, um, both in Israel actually and in the U.S. Um, in Israel, it's more about the sharing the gospel and the discipleship. And um, here in the U.S., we have our office actually right down the street here in Colleyville, helping to educate the American church about uh, the Jewish people in Israel. And um, we have a tremendous open door now. It's a window of opportunity that we can exercise our faith in the Israeli democracy, but there's a lot of voices in the Orthodox Jewish community trying to close that window for us. Mm -hmm. So we, we are praying for wisdom, for strength to use that door much as it is open. Amen. Well, we have some information in the lobby that we're making available to you if you want to know more about One for Israel or how you can participate in that as we are working as a church with them. Uh, we have that available for you, but we wanted to just stop and uh, pray together. So let's, let's have the privilege of praying for you. Father, we just love you and we thank you, God, for what you're doing uh, among your people. And Lord, how the gospel of Jesus is bringing hope in a very difficult and dark uh, place. Lord, thank you uh, that we're seeing lives change. Lord, thank you for using eras and his team. We pray that you would protect them, watch over them, and Lord, give them great boldness to share Jesus um, with their people in such a way that, that you're exalted. Lord, build your church, and Lord, we wanna be a part of it, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's thank Eras one more time. Thank you, brother. Thank you. you got All right, so what Eras just said is that Jesus is bringing hope to the people of Israel right now. What I wanna show you is how what is happening today was predicted 700 years before the birth of Jesus. So we're gonna rewind the clock all the way back to 700 years before the birth of Jesus to see what was predicted there is actually coming true today. So get your Bible out. I want you to open up to the book of Isaiah uh, in the Old Testament. Isaiah is one of the major prophets. He's called a major prophet primarily because of the content that he produces, even though the book of Isaiah, almost a complete book of Isaiah was found in the Dead Sea Scroll finding in the late 50s. Um, and it continues to be a rich book that talks about the coming Messiah. Now, Isaiah lived in a time of of darkness, uh, spiritual darkness in Israel. People had rejected God. Uh, uh, also political darkness. There was a lot of political corruption at the time, a lot of uh, moral corruption at the time. And so when Isaiah shows up on the scene, he has a, really a twofold message. The first message was one of judgment, that because they had rejected the Lord, because they had turned their back on God, uh, because they had broken his laws, that God was going to bring judgment upon them, primarily through the invasion of the Assyrians, a superpower at the time that came swooping down through the north and, and devastated Israel and hauled many of them off uh, into exile. Uh, a second part of his message, though, not only is judgment, but also a message of hope. Because in that dark, foreboding future, 
Isaiah is the one that sees that there will one day come a Messiah, one day that will come one who will bring hope and establish justice and righteousness and kindness and peace on the earth. And so Isaiah gives us a glimpse into the Messiah that would come. And so Isaiah 9 is one of those passages that's kind of before and after a dark, but Isaiah 9 is a light because it talks about the coming of the Messiah. So let's just take a look at it. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning at verse uh, 1. This is the word uh, of God. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan, to to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Now stop right there for just a minute. Isaiah is talking about this light, this light of hope that's gonna come in this very, very dark world, this dark time. There is gonna be hope and it's gonna come in the light of the Messiah, this one who will come and make all things right. And so he begins to tell us a little bit about where this Messiah will come from. And it's almost like he drops some clues that if we can follow these clues and know where he's going to come from, then maybe we can ascertain his identity, who this Messiah will be. And so just look at it, he just tells us right quick. First off, he says that he's gonna come from the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. What is that? Well, Zebulun and Naphtali were tribes, Jewish tribes, that settled in the northern part of Israel. So what he's saying is that the Messiah is going to come from the north, not from the south. He's going to come from the fertile fields of the north, not from the wilderness desert of the south. Anything else? Yeah. Well, he says here he's going to come from the way of the sea, along the way of the sea. That's what is called today the Via Maris, the way of the sea. This is actually a trade route that started in northern Egypt and ran all the way up along the Mediterranean coastline and cutting across northern Israel and then went all the way over to modern day Iran and Iraq. So along this trade route, the Messiah is gonna come. What else do we know? Well, he's gonna come from east of the Jordan. So east of the Jordan River, along the trade route in the northern area. Now we're starting to kind of zero this thing in as to where he's gonna come from. What else do we know? Well, here it is. He's gonna come from Galilee. Now I'm sure this probably made a lot of people scratch their heads because Galilee wasn't really known as the the place of prominence. Galilee was more kind of the backwoods, uh, a poor, rather redneck part of uh, Israel. All right, that's that's kind of who lived in the Galilee. Uh, Surely they thought the Messiah is gonna come from Jerusalem, right? I mean, Jerusalem, that's where the temple is. That's where the Spirit of God dwells. That's where the power and prestige, all that is in Jerusalem. It's literally elevated high, you know? That's, that's surely where he's going to come. No, it's going to come from Galilee. I mean, if you lived in Jesus' time and you drove a lifted truck and you had a shirt with the sleeves ripped out, you probably lived in Galilee, all right? If you had a bad tattoo, you probably lived in Galilee, all right? That's, that, that's kind of where, it was kind of the backwoods, kind of uneducated uh, group of people, the farming, ranching, you know, fishing industry all up in there. That's totally antithetical to the, the, what they anticipated. Yet Isaiah said that the Messiah, this light, will come from Galilee. 
So let me just ask you a, a couple of questions. Uh, where, where was Jesus' hometown? Right? Nazareth, right? That was in the Galilee. Where did he move the base of his ministry? Well, it was to Capernaum, which was in the Galilee. Uh, where did Jesus perform his first miracle? Somebody know? Bible quiz at church. Uh, Cana, right. And, and that's in the, somebody tell me, in the Galilee. That's right. Where, where, uh, where did most of the disciples come from? They were all Galileans. They were all from the Galilee. Where did Jesus perform most of his miracles? That evangelical triangle from Capernaum to Bethsaida to Chorazim, that little uh, triangle there, the majority of his miracles came from there. They all came from the Galilee. You say, well, Craig, you mean you're trying to tell me that, that Isaiah is literally predicting Jesus? Is that what you're, those are the dots you're trying to connect? That's exactly what I'm trying to say. In fact, not only am I trying to tell you that, I'm telling you that the first generation believers believe that. In fact, if you take your Bible and flip over to Matthew 4, or just right in the margin here, Matthew chapter 4, uh, beginning of verse 12. This is what we read, Matthew 4, verse 12. When he, speaking of Jesus, heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. He left Nazareth and went to live in Capernaum by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, along the road by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. See, even the, even the first followers of Jesus understood that Isaiah was predicting Jesus, that Jesus is the light of the world, that Jesus is the hope of the world. And he was predicted 700 years before his birth. Isaiah would say, simply say this, in Jesus, we find our hope. In Jesus, we find our hope. Let me put it this way, in Jesus, you find your hope. Now, the reason why that's important is because we're going into the Christmas season and there's a lot of talk about hope and a lot of talk about love and a lot of talk about joy. And in many cases, that all only exacerbates our own lack of hope and joy. Then we can think, you know, I, I, everybody's singing about hope and joy, but I don't have a lot of hope. I don't have a lot of joy. In fact, you may, you may be really honest and say, you know, I'm kind of in a dark place right now. I'm in a dark place in my relationships and my family. I'm in a dark place in my own spiritual life. I'm in a dark place emotionally. I, I'm just not in a good spot. And, and I don't feel like I have much hope. What Isaiah would say is you find your hope in Jesus. That's where you find your hope. In fact, he's going to tell us how to find our hope in Jesus right here in this passage, okay? In fact, if you, uh, if you take your finger and just run down to verse 9, uh, I want you to read this. It says, for a child will be born to us. He's saying, man, this has all been dark, but the light's coming. How is this light going to come? Well, a child will be born to us. Uh, a son will be given to us. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Now I want you to just look at that phrase, he will be named. You know, names are important to God. 
Uh, when we name a child, sometimes we name somebody because of a family member. You know, that's your great-granddaddy's name. We want to keep the names in the family. I'm actually a second-generation Ronald, okay? There's a Ronald Stanley. I'm a Ronald Craig. There's actually a Ronald Michael. I think the Ronalds are running out after, that, after this, all right? Three, the, three generations and up. But we tend to pick a name that's, you know, maybe in the family line or a name we think is cute or a name that we think is popular or something like that. Uh, but when God chooses a name, it has meaning. It usually is a forecasting or foreshadowing of the significance of that person. For example, when he met Abram, he changed his name to Abraham because he was going to be the father of nations, right? Or when Jacob wrestled with God, he gave him the name Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. Uh, when, when Jesus met Cephas, he changed his name to Peter because on the rock of his confession, Jesus would build his church. So names matter. And when Isaiah is saying, hey, a light's going to come and he's going to come from the region of this Galilee, that, that when he comes, he's going to bring hope and he gives a list of names. These names actually show us how Jesus brings us so let me show you. I'm going to want you to write these things down. Okay, here's a, I'm going to give you three things. Number one is this. In Jesus, we find our hope for guidance. We find our hope for guidance. Once you look at uh, the first name, he said he is called a wonderful counselor. That word counselor there could be translated advisor, planner, strategist. You know, when you think of a counselor, what do you think of? You usually think of a therapist, right? Or maybe a financial planner, or maybe a uh, legal counsel, you're gonna seek legal, legal counsel. A lot of times in our work and in our life, we will constantly seek counsel from expertise and different people. Businesses will call in consultants because they, will, they want their counsel to help them navigate through a, a, a strategic move. Uh, there are all kinds of ways that we seek counsel, but here's one thing that all counselors have in common. They all counsel from limited knowledge. Not any one counselor knows everything. They may think they know everything, but they don't know everything, all right? They, they don't know the future. They don't know the, what the markets will do. They don't know how judges will respond in certain cases. They may not even know all the facts. They don't know all the things. But he said, when the Messiah comes, he will counsel you perfectly. In fact, he uses the word wonderful counselor, and that word wonderful there is the closest word we have to the word supernatural. He, he counsels you in a wonderful way. He counsels you in a way that's beyond your ability to figure out. He gives you the counsel that you would not be able to achieve on your own, by your own smarts or your own intuition. No, he's a counselor that counsels you beyond your own natural ability. You know, I've found that a lot of people feel hopeless because they don't know what to do. I'm telling you, on almost a weekly basis, I will talk with people and they'll say, Pastor, I just don't know what to do. I mean, you don't understand what's going on in my family. I don't know what to do. Or I've got this job situation. I haven't got a clue what I'm supposed to do. How do I react to this situation? I don't know what to do. And when we don't know what to do, we end up doing nothing. It paralyzes us. Or when we don't know what to do, then we end up losing hope. I just, I feel trapped. I feel stuck. I don't know what to do. But Isaiah is saying this, in Jesus, we find the hope of guidance because Jesus will guide you. Jesus will give you direction. 
In fact, Jesus gave us a picture of this. We, we don't see this day in, day out, but of course, his time, uh, they would have seen it all the time. In fact, if you go to Israel today, you'll still see it. In John chapter 10, Jesus put it this way, John 10, 14, he said, I am the good shepherd. He goes on to say in verse 27, he said, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. And you know why sheep need a shepherd? Because sheep are dumb. They are dumb animals. They really are. They, they will wander and, and not know where they're going. They, will, uh, they, would, they just look at what's the next thing in front of them to munch on and they just kind of follow that trail. And literally, they can follow that thing right off a cliff and, and won't even, you know, they'll start eating on the edge of the cliff and they'll just stumble right off. It happens all the time. I mean, sheep need a shepherd. They need someone to guide them and lead them. Listen, sheep need a shepherd and so do you. You need a shepherd. I need a shepherd. And how do we know what decisions to make? How do we know what, do I take that job or not? Do I, do I, do I push in this situation or do I back off? Do I, do I call that person up or do I leave them alone? I mean, how do I know how to navigate the complex things that you deal with? Some of you are gonna deal with some major decisions this year. Some of you right now are really paralyzed by not knowing what to do in a situation. Listen, in Jesus, you find hope for guidance. Jesus promised to guide you. You mean to tell me that God's gonna guide me in like decisions that I make like that? Yes, absolutely. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they will follow me. The question is not, is Jesus guiding you? The question is, are you following him? That's the question. Are you willing to lay this issue before Jesus and say, Jesus, wherever you lead me, I will follow you. Things begin to simplify when we get to that place. So we have hope in Jesus for guidance. Isaiah also said that in Jesus, we have hope for strength. We find our hope for strength. Many times people are, are hopeless because they don't feel like they have the ability to keep going. Anytime you, you are in a place where you just don't feel like, man, I just don't think I can keep going. I don't think I can keep making it. I keep plugging. I can't stay in this relationship any longer. I can't keep putting up with this person that breaks my heart. I can't keep uh, powering through and showing up for work when I hate this job. Or I can't keep dealing with this person that creates drama in my life. I can't keep, uh, I, I don't think I keep dealing with these foreboding thoughts of depression. I can't keep dealing with this, this addiction. I keep falling back into over and over. I can't keep fighting. I can't keep going. That leads to hopelessness. But here what Isaiah is saying that he is a mighty, look at the name, he's a mighty God. Most scholars agree that the phrase mighty God relates to his ability to defeat his enemies. That there's no power greater than him. And if you just look at the life of Jesus, you see Jesus exerting power. Right? Supernatural power. When Jesus was in his earthly ministry, he exerted power over illness by healing the sick. He exerted power over the demonic by casting out demons. He, did, he showed his power over the natural world by stealing the wind and the waves. He showed his own power over death by raising people from the dead like Lazarus and others. 
even his own power to, to execute his own resurrection by three times telling them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer at the hands of the chief priests, the teachers of the law. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to rise again on the third day. Do you know he said that outright three times before he actually did it? That is supernatural power. There's no one greater than him. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, uh, Paul said in Philippians 2. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and tongue confess that he is Lord. So listen, if Jesus has the power that you need, then only Jesus can give you the power you need to get through what you're going through. Only Jesus can give you the power you need to get through what you're going through on a daily basis. I know that you don't see this, but just about every week, we encourage you to fill out prayer requests, and, uh, and you do. And, and it is our joy, our staff, every Tuesday we get together, we divide them up, and we, we pray intentionally for those uh, prayer requests. It's a privilege and an honor for us to shepherd and love you by, at the very least, getting on our knees and praying for you. And you don't really see the requests that often come through. Just this last week, I just want to give you just a little sampling of, of some of the things that you're going through right now that people in our church are, are struggling with. This, these are not all of them, of course. But there's a stack, but these are just a few. One wrote, please pray for my sister-in-law who has breast cancer and is going through a lot of pain. Another one said, pray for a friend who has his leg taken at the knee and he's having complications. Another one said, please pray for God's financial provision while I am still unemployed. Someone wrote, please pray for blank, the, their name and his family to have a real relationship with Jesus. One person wrote, please pray for my sister in critical condition and they wrote the hospital, doctors are not sure she will survive. Another said, please pray for a friend who is recently divorced and they're going through custody problems. But one that stood out to me was uh, a card and it was obviously written by a child and they just had these four words, pray for my daddy. How do you get through that? How do you get through it when you're really fighting to keep your marriage alive? How do you get through it when you watch your child struggling with cancer? How do you get through it when, when you deal with death and loss? How do you find the strength to keep going when you're struggling on the inside and you don't feel like you can keep going? You know, the Apostle Paul, I think, hit a really dark place, a difficult place in his own life. He got to kind of the end of his rope in 2 Corinthians 12, and he, and I'm paraphrasing it now, he said, uh, see, you know, I've learned to brag about my weaknesses because it's when I am weak that the power of Christ rests on me. See, we think that weakness is, is a bad thing when actually weakness is a good thing. Weakness brings us to the point where we realize our desperate need for God. And it's only till they come to the end of ourselves can we really begin to experience the power of Jesus in our life to carry us through these dark seasons in our life. 
If you're in a place where you don't feel like you have the strength to keep going, Jesus is our hope. In Jesus, we find our hope for strength to carry you through what you're going through. Isaiah said this hope, this Messiah, he's going to bring guidance. He's going to bring strength. But let me show you one more. It says he's going to bring you love and acceptance. In fact, in Jesus, we find our hope for love and acceptance. Look at the other name. He says he's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. One more, he says he's an eternal father. He's an eternal father. You know, everybody wants a great father. Everybody wants a great dad. And uh, some of you had a blessing of having a great father. I had a, a honor, wonderful privilege of having a great dad, a godly dad. Uh, some of you, it's a real serious point of pain because you did not have a father uh, that really loved and cared for you. Some were indifferent, some were uh, absent, some even worse may have been abusive. And when you have a, 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 a difficult challenge with your earthly father, sometimes you use him as a projection of what your heavenly father is like. You go, well, if my earthly father was this way, then my heavenly father is this way. So my, my earthly father was, was abusive, then my heavenly father may abuse me. Or if my earthly father was unfaithful, then my heavenly father may not be faithful. If my earthly father was indifferent to me, then maybe my heavenly father won't listen to me, see? And oftentimes we make the mistake of, of, of taking our earthly father and using them as an image of our heavenly father. And that is a terrible mistake. And let me tell you why. Because your earthly father can never be your image of your heavenly father. Even, even if they're a great dad, all right? Even if your earthly fathers are awesome, they are still flawed, sinful messes, right? They are a hot mess, a hot mess. And that's a great place for you dads to say amen, all right? Yeah, we're a mess. Even in our bed. I've got a highlight reel of all the bad things I've done. And, and I, I pull it up all the time and I play it, you know, and every once in a while my girls will play it for me and that's a lot of fun, all right? Oh yeah, I remember when I did that when you were in second grade, oh, you know. But here's the deal. Your earthly father can never be a projection of your heavenly father only Jesus can do that. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to be a, 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 a projection. Jesus came to reveal what your heavenly father is like. You can't see your heavenly father. He's invisible. But you can see Christ. And Christ shows us what the father is like. Hey, don't put your earthly dad in the place of Jesus. Let Jesus be the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created. By him and for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's Colossians 1. He is the image. And by the way, that's not the only place that we learn that. In, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets in different times and in different ways. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The son is a radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature. If you want to know what the father is like, you look at what Jesus is like. That's why Jesus said in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. 
So if you want to know if what if Jesus or if the Father is patient, then you look, is Jesus patient? Is Jesus kind? Is Jesus faithful? Is Jesus loving? Yes. That's what your Heavenly Father is like. That's what your Heavenly Father is like. And He loves you and created you to know Him and to walk with Him in a deep and rich and personal way. Maybe you feel like nobody really cares about you. Maybe you feel like you're always looking for other people to validate you. But listen, only your Heavenly Father can speak life into you. And only your Heavenly Father can love you, get this, eternally. He is your eternal Father. He does not leave. He does not abandon. He does not forsake. In fact, the relationship you have with him now just shifts into another gear when you step into eternity with him. That's good news. Listen, in Jesus, we, have, we find our hope. We find our hope for guidance. We find our hope for strength for today. We find our hope for love and acceptance. But I want to share with you in closing up the one great danger to you this Christmas. When my uh, daughters were little, and I'm saying, you know, now kind of toddlers, they, uh, as young parents, we wanted to give them, you know, especially those first Christmases, we want to give them the best gift ever, right? So they're, they're toddlers. They don't know. They're not online looking at, they're not sending us uh, links to things that they want. That comes when they're teenagers, all right? But when they're toddlers, you know, they, they're just, they don't know anything, but we're wanting to give them the best of everything, right? So we, uh, we go to the uh, toy store and we go to the expensive places and we spend more money than we probably should on, this, on the biggest dollhouse and the wonder, magnificent doll and, and, and this thing and that toy and all this. And then we bring it home and we package it all up and wrap it all up, put it under the tree. And then on Christmas day, we get them out and, and they don't really know what's going on. They can't even focus, right? They don't even know what's happening. And, and then we tear off the packages and we, we, we show them the gift. And if you ever had this happen, you show them the gift and then they just crawl right over to the box. You ever had that happen? And they want to play with the box. And you're like, well, no, 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 the gift. Here's the gift that I keep going over. The, don't you understand the gift is over here, not the box? Your greatest danger will be to do that. Your greatest danger is for, listen to me, zero right in there. For me to say, Jesus is your hope. In Jesus, you find your hope. If you don't know what to do, if you don't know if anybody loves you, if you're wrestling with your self-worth, if you don't have the strength to keep going, in Jesus, you find your hope. He is the gift. And for you to say, Pastor, that sounds so good. I'm going to put Jesus over here. And I'm going to keep looking for my hope in my job. Or in my spouse. Or in my accomplishment. Or in my looks. Or in other things to give me hope. My friend, none of those things will, able, will be able to give you hope. None of them. Only Jesus can. Your greatest danger will be not to reject Jesus, but to simply replace him with something less than who he is. Let me ask you something. Do you know that Jesus is your hope? Are you holding on to the fact that Jesus is your hope? I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute.
I wanna give you an opportunity to know for sure. In the first two services, we had in each one of them people who realized maybe for the first time that, you know what, I don't have a whole lot of hope. That maybe you believe in God. I mean, certainly you, you believe in Jesus, you believe in the Bible, but you're, there's never been a moment in time when you have experienced change in your life because of the hope of Jesus. I wanna give you some really good news this Christmas. When you are far from God and without hope and in darkness, the prophet Isaiah gave the promise that one day a light's gonna come. And you know what, that light came in the person of Jesus Christ. That he came into this world to reveal to us what the Father is like. He came into this world to give us an example to follow. But more than that, he came into this world to be a substitute for our sin. And on the cross, Jesus took on your sin. All of your mistakes, all your failures, all your, the laws that you've broken, all the ways that you've gone off course, all these things like a list were nailed onto the cross when they nailed Jesus on the cross. And he paid for every single one of them because he loves you. He loves you. They took his lifeless body off that cross and put him in a tomb. And three days later, he rose again in power and showed himself to be alive to hundreds of people over 40 days. And he made this declaration that if you will come to him, he will not push you aside. If you will confess your need, if you will confess your sin, that he will wipe you clean. In fact, one of the great promises of Isaiah said, come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sinner is, is a scarlet, it can be as white as snow. Though it's red as crimson, it can be as wool. Only Jesus, the Messiah, can make you clean, can give you hope, can give you guidance and strength and love that you need. But you have to receive him by faith. So I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that right now. With your heads bowed, nobody looking around. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need Christ in my life. I want to know for sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I want Jesus to clean me and forgive me. I want him to fill my life with hope because I don't feel very hopeful right now. Then when nobody looking around, I just want you to lift up your hand so I can see it and I will just pray for you. I'm not gonna call you out in any way, but lifting up your hand is just a way for you to acknowledge, I need Jesus. It's a simple physical act of saying, I need help, I need Jesus. So right now, just lift up your hand right now. You want me to pray for you? I'll pray for you. I'll lead you in a prayer right where you are. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, lift up your hand right now. Lift it up so I can see it, all right? Okay, lift it up where I can see it. All right, thank you, thank you. Put your hands down now. So just bow your head right where you are in your seat. I'm just gonna kind of lead you through a prayer. God already knows your heart. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. I believe he died on a cross. And I believe he rose again 
so I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please wash me clean. Fill my life with hope that only comes from you. Today I choose to follow you and to be your disciple for the rest of my life. Thank you for loving me. Let me just pray for all of us. Father, I just thank you. Thank you, Lord, that in a, in a world that has seemed so hopeless, where so many people put their hope in themselves or in their hope in other people or the hope in a political party or their hope in an accomplishment that only fails them that we find our hope steadfastly in Jesus, our Messiah. Lord, thank you that you're bringing hope to Israel right now. But Lord, we pray that your hope would spread in our country, in our state, in our city, in our families, in our lives. And Lord, help us to be carriers of the light of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, as we go to our work and as we go back to school, and as we go back to our apartment complex or where we live. Lord, help us be carriers of the light of Jesus, that people would see the hope that we have. And Lord, as we go into the schools this week and as we in our night of hope as we go there and we minister to people help us be radiant lights of hope to the people we'll minister to there Lord we love you thank you for the hope that we have in you and we pray this in Jesus name Amen Amen Hey can we thank God for his word today